Welcome to the New Man Podcast, a show for brave men to experience freedom in their faith, sexuality, and relationships. The goal? goal? To provide practical tools and timeless principles that help you become the man you were made to be. And now, your host, Sathya Sam. Hey everybody, what's up? It's Sathya Sam here and welcome to the New Man Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I am, um, well, yeah, I'm just really, really excited to get into the today's subject. Um, <laughs> this is a really interesting one. Today we're talking about what is sex like when you get married. And this actually was inspired by a couple of things, but probably primarily an interview that I just did recently with Dan Martin. And Dan Martin is a director with an organization called Pure Hope, and um, they have this Great ministry, a great, great message around just how to live a life of sexual integrity in the 21st century. And I, um, his interview is going to come out in a couple of weeks, but um, but we got on this subject a little bit about, you know, um, married sex versus non-married sex, and then kind of talked a little bit about what is sex really like when you get married, because... It's just sometimes it's not painted in the right picture to our to our youth, and it causes a lot of damage as a result. And we're seeing that happen now. Um, there's just people leaving the church in droves, you know, millennials and the like. And a lot of it ha- has to do with sexuality, um, because it feels like what we were taught about sexuality as kids was completely misleading and and really fear based and whatever else. So. That's the inspiration for the episode today, but let me just take a minute and say thank you to you listeners. Thanks for your kind words. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Thanks for the encouragement. All of it means the world to me, and I really, really appreciate it. I just, um, yeah, just can't can't say enough to those of you who have just left a kind comment or written me back or or whatever. Thank you. Uh, really, really means a lot to me. Okay, let's let's get into this a little bit. Um, so what is sex like when you get married? Okay, let's talk a little bit about why this question even matters. So if you live by a Christian standard of, of morals and virtues, part of that package is not having sex before marriage. Now, I, I think we've talked about this in another episode, and I'll have to look back through our database. And if I haven't, I really should talk about um, this soon. But the reason that you don't have sex before marriage is not, it's not some, I don't know, it's not some rule, it's not some test. That's kind of how it was, you know, presented to me is like, uh, you know, you don't have sex because God is testing you. He wants to see that you have self-control and that you can prove yourself and then you get rewarded by experiencing sex when you're married. So that's what I was told. I don't know if you guys got told something like that, but um, these messages are really prevalent in the church. So it's like, yeah, don't look at porn, don't do anything dirty, and don't, don't, you know, don't have sex before marriage because that's bad for you and sex is, is meant to be between a man and a woman in the confines of a marriage and that alone. So that's, that's typically what we are told and that's kind of what we abide by. So that's all well and good, you know, that's fine. The question really is why? And we're going to dig into that, but... Um, I'm going to guess that a majority of you who are listening probably had some sort of conditioning. And the problem, sorry, some sort of conditioning that was along those lines. I'm so excited to talk about this. I'm jumping ahead of myself. So, you know, you were probably told something along the lines of sex is bad until you get married, then it's great. You know, that that kind of thing. 
And the problem is that it conditions our minds a certain way. And as we know, your your brain, male brain, takes about 25 years to fully develop. So you can be an idiot until you're 25 and then you better smarten up. Just joking, kind of. But what I mean is, you know, your brain is like, you're not making great decisions until you're about 25, like as in you don't even have the faculties necessarily to do it. Uh, Usually once you hit that age, your brain is fully matured. And if in those 25 years when your brain was super plastic and really malleable and, and it could absorb information and you could change your thinking and really change your patterns quickly and whatever else, if in that valuable season of your life, you are taught primarily sex is bad, don't think about sex, don't think about girls that way, don't do this, don't do that, don't, 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 then why is it that when you get married, suddenly a switch is just going to flip and you are able to reverse 25 years of conditioning? Like that is just nonsense. And yet that is kind of what we've been set up for. And that's why people are so frustrated with the messaging of the church around these subjects because the way it's been presented has been totally misleading and totally false. So that's why we're talking about this episode. Uh, sorry, that's why we're doing this episode today because I just I just think this is really important and we do need to talk about like what is sex actually like when you get married? Is it is it actually everything that's cracked up to be? Now, the other thing I, I'm very aware of is that probably a majority of you, even if you're not married, you've probably had sex before or you've had some sexual experiences. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the conditioning part of it, which is just across the board. And then I want to talk a little bit about the difference between sex inside a marriage and sex outside of a marriage. And this is coming from somebody with some experience on both sides. Um, I, I didn't have sex before marriage, but I was sexually active in a previous relationship. And it impacted me very differently than experiencing sex um, now married, you know, to my wife of almost two years. So um, on the conditioning side of things, guys, what I want to say is the sooner you can learn to get comfortable with sex, um, the sooner you get comfortable talking about it, and the sooner you can really understand in your heart of hearts that God designed sex, the better. Because that is the truth. God designed sex. It was it was his idea. It was his creation. He, he didn't, um, it's not like he had a different system in mind and then the frailties of man just gave in and created this terrible thing called sex that we now just kind of have to work with while we're here on earth. This was God mandated from day one. It was something he longed for us. And the reason there are parameters around it is because like anything that is valuable and good, it requires parameters for it to be best enjoyed. So if you think about, um, let's just pick up a really trivial example. Think about ice cream. How great is ice cream, guys? I love ice cream. And, um, you know, if you have ice cream every single day for the rest of your life, that's probably not going to be good for you, even though ice cream is great. But it, you need some parameters, right? Like there, there has to be some sort of, um, you know, constraints or just, just some, some ideals, a framework, a structure for how you're going to consume ice cream. Because if there isn't, that really good thing is actually going to do more harm. And sex is kind of like that, okay? It's not a perfect metaphor, but it is kind of like that in the sense that um, sex is best enjoyed in certain parameters. The main one being a committed relationship. Now, there's biological backing for this and there's psychological backing for this as well. 
So biologically, we are wired for long-term connection, which sounds really interesting because divorce rates are super high. Uh, you know, promiscuity, I would say, well, maybe not promiscuity per se, but having multiple partners is uh, pretty normal at this point um, sexually uh, within uh, Gen Z and, and millennials alike. So, you know, why is it then that our, our biology or what is it about our biology that actually indicates we're wired for long-term connection? Well, it is oxytocin. So oxytocin is a hormone. It's known as the love chemical and it gets released when you experience sexual arousal and more, more specifically sexual release. And oxytocin is the same hormone that is secreted when a mother breastfeeds her child. So think about that. That that's it's the same hormone. It is it is meant to form that sort of emotional attachment, that long term bond. I mean, the bond bef- between a mother and a child is meant to last for life, but in the most most formative years of our lives, oxytocin is the thing that enables us to form those attachments, and that same chemical is released when you have sex. So again, it's just to say that it activates the very parts of your body that are wired for long-term bonding. That's the biological component. Now, psychologically, what a lot of people experience when they have sex outside of marriage is that sex really does complicate things. It, it, It adds a complexity to it. And it's a complexity that, as a society, we seem to have become quite comfortable with, but that doesn't necessarily make it healthy, right? Just because it's common doesn't mean it's best practice or whatever else. So psychologically, when you engage with someone on that kind of level, you you have nowhere else to go. So you either have an option. You either stay with the person, you continue to build a life together, which is what a lot of people do. Your second option is, of course, that this was just a, a physical thing and you're going to move on with your life. Either way, you you have a decision to make. Now, what I often teach people about um, the reason you don't have sex before marriage or the reason sex is specifically for marriage is because the level of intimacy that you experience with another person is meant to be matched by the level of commitment. So if you think about um, somebody that you've maybe met, think of someone you've met in the last 30 days. How much of your life do they know? How much have you shared with them? Well, even if it was somebody that you shared a lot with, there's still way more that they don't know about you. So that is going to dictate how you interact with them. I mean, if you think about when you're getting to know someone, um, maybe maybe not even romantically, okay, but just somebody that you're getting to know either through a community group or through work or whatever, you know, you start to have just small talk here and there, or maybe you, you know, you grab a, a drink together or a coffee together and you, you chat and whatever. And it, gradually the conversation will start to become more deep and, and you get to understand the person better and it sort of evolves, but it takes time to get there. And as you get there, you then start to have deeper connections. So like when I think about my my friends, some of my friends that I've, I've been, you know, in, in close relationship with for 10 plus years, he's got, these guys know everything about me. They know everything, you know, they are at least almost everything. And so we can have very private, personal conversations, and it's not awkward, it's not strange. Why? Because we both understand this is like a long-term friendship. These are people we want to make time for. I've been confronted with that lately. You know, my wife and I are super busy and just have 500 things on our plate. Um, And 
it, it feels overwhelming and it's very easy to start pushing social engagements away because it's like, oh, I don't have time for that. I have to do all these other things. And I've just had to remind myself, no, no, no. These, these are the priorities of my life. These people matter to me. This is why I do what I do. It's because I love the people that are in my life and I care about them. So I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up for them. Even if it means that my project doesn't get completed on time or it gets done kind of haphazardly or, or whatever, um, not haphazardly, half-heartedly, um, it, it, it just one way or another, um, I'm going to find a way to make it happen because it's a priority. And again, these are the things you do for people that you have that kind of commitment to. It, it, it's the indicator of commitment. The greatest commitment you can make to a person is a covenant. And that covenant in today's day and age is called marriage. And since marriage is the greatest form of a commitment, it demands the greatest form of intimacy, which of course is sex. And, th and that's kind of my basic explanation for why sex is best saved for marriage and why God has designed it that way. God is not trying to withhold us from our fun. He, he has given us the gift of sex and he wants us to enjoy it in the best way possible. And by his design, the best way possible is in the context of a marriage. Now, I want to actually just answer the question then. So what is sex like when you get married? Well, <laughs> it's it's really interesting. Um, if, if you haven't had a lot of sex, or let's say you haven't had any sex at all, um, if your sexual experience is limited, you want to think of, of sex like um, learning a sport. So even if somebody has natural skill at a sport, they're not great at it when they first start. There might be one or two things that they can do really well, but to become a good athlete, a good competitor in a sport takes time. And sex is the same way. This is a physical interaction that requires coordination. It's very emotional. There's a spiritual component going on. So with all of these things in the mix, it's a lot to manage at once. And it's kind of overwhelming when, when you first engage with it. I mean, it's, it's exhilarating, like it's super fun, but it's, it's a lot as well. And so like anything, when you first start, you're not that great at it. And that's totally okay. And I would rather tell you the truth now than try to paint this picture of like, guys, just don't, don't have any sex until you get married. Just hold on. It's going to be great. You know, and that's kind of what we're taught, right? Is like, it's worth it for that epic wedding night. And that wedding night is not necessarily really that epic. So it it's better that you just know the truth now. And this is especially if you have not engaged in much sexual activity prior. You're not going to be great at it and that's okay. Now, I actually realized this. So I, I don't know exactly why. I don't know if maybe my mentors talked to me about it or I just magically had the foresight. But I knew this. And so one of my tips to people when they're engaged, and I, I will do another episode on this as well, because um, I'm so passionate about just doing engagement really well. Um, one of the things I used to joke about in engagement, especially when we were getting closer to our wedding date and like, you know, the hormones are high and my wife-to-be and I are kind of talking about it, but we're sort of talking around it and whatever. So I used to make jokes like, oh, babe, I hope you're ready for the best 30 seconds of your life. You know, just stuff like that. Because I, I think you just have to have fun with it for starters. But two is I really wanted to reduce the expectations of the wedding night. I didn't want there to be all this pressure because anytime you put that kind of pressure and like, especially, you know, if you grew up in the church, we're talking about possibly decades of putting pressure on one night. It is almost impossible to live up 
to those expectations. And, you know, I've heard stories of friends who, who didn't get to have sex on their wedding night because, you know, the bride was super tired. And so they, they did the right Christian guy thing. They said, yeah, no problem, no problem. But secretly just became super resentful. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, on my wedding night, I don't even get to have sex. And you're kind of throwing their, their pity party for themselves. And it's just ridiculous. Like, it's just, it's silly. But these are the kinds of things that you get into when you aren't properly educated or informed about how these things are supposed to go. Now, here's what I can say. After two years, uh, almost two years of, of being married and engaging in sex on a regular basis, you do get better at it. It gets better. It gets more enjoyable. And like anything, like, you know, when you think about driving a car, when you first learn how to drive a car, the things that you are paying attention to are, are like, you pay attention to everything, right? Where are the other cars on the road? And you're watching the lights like a hawk. And, you know, if you take driving school, they teach you to pay attention to pedestrians. And you, you pay attention to everything. And all these little details matter so much. And as you start to drive more, you you can sometimes, you know, drive for, for an hour and then think after that hour, like, wait, what did I even just do? I wasn't even paying attention because it's kind of become second nature. Now, sex doesn't ever become quite like that because sex is very engaging. But what I mean is that you you start to relax a little bit. You settle into a rhythm and you enjoy it more and more. So if anybody's told you that, you know, just save sex for marriage and uh, on your wedding night, it'll be worth it. Um, no, that's not really how that works. It will be worth it over the course of your marriage though, 100%. Now, where you deal with complexities, and, and I want to talk to those of you who have, you know, maybe had a decent amount of sex and, and you're looking to get married and you, you're looking to clean things up a little bit maybe, you know, and you, you really want to be committed to a woman one day and you, you don't want to bring all this baggage in. Um, listen to some other episodes of the podcast for sure as far as cleaning up the baggage goes. Uh, but but I would also say to you that um, there is there is no sex like marriage sex, and um, I again I, I don't know this necessarily from experience because I I never fully engaged in sex uh, before I got married, but um, I was listening to a podcast and I, I should see if I can track it down. And my wife was the one who showed it to me, but it's with Andy Mino and some of his friends, and Andy Andy Mino is like a, a Christian rap. Um, yeah, rap artist. I think that would be correct. He's a Christian artist and he's he's on Lecrae's label and you know, he's really really good. Good stuff. And he he was talking about how there's there's no sex like marriage sex. And this was coming from a guy who had had a lot of sex uh, prior to getting married. And the reason that and he said it much better and this is why I I will track it down. I'll make a note of it here. But um, the reason was just because you you know you're with that person. Like it, it is ultimate safety ultimate security. And, and that is how sex was meant to be enjoyed. And so if you've already had a lot of sex and you're thinking, well, what's the point now? Like, what what do I have to gain if I've already messed up this badly? Uh, what I, what I want to remind you is that your significant other is not looking for a perfect track record because it's quite likely she doesn't have one either. What they're actually looking for is somebody who's going to bring security to the relationship. So if you're engaging in tons of sexual activity right up until you meet that person, it doesn't give the same kind of confidence as if you had maybe for a year been clean, you had cleaned up a little bit, or even for six months, it at least indicates that you can do it. And it gives that kind of security that she is looking for. See, that that is what makes this multiple uh, partner kind of culture that we're in so scary 
is we are sucking the security out of the relationships that are meant to be the most secure. Other than the child-parent relationships, husband-wife are meant to be as secure as they come. And when we are engaging with multiple partners, when you're having sex outside of marriage, you are engaging in something that does not have the security to stabilize the experience. So anyways, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rant a little bit here if I keep going, and I, I don't want to get too ranty about this. But those are just some thoughts about um, why you should save sex for marriage and uh, what sex is like when you get married. It's awesome, and there's nothing like it. And when you start off, and it's not necessarily that, you know, over the top, like it's not this mountaintop experience. What really matters is just that you're doing it together. And as you go further on in life, what you will find is that what really adds value to the experiences is not necessarily um, some sort of euphoria. It's not necessarily something that is extravagant or lavish. What actually brings value to an experience is just that you get to share it with other people. And that's what makes sex so special when you're married. It's that you get to have a really deeply intimate experience with somebody else that you love and that you care about deeply. And and that is a really incredible thing. And that means even when it's not great, um, even when you're still learning, uh, even when you're still trying to figure things out and, and maybe you run into some issues along the way, what matters is that you're doing it together, you're committed to one another, And you're going to see it through because there's that security that lets you know we're going to see this through. We're going to stick it out to the very end and we're going to figure out how to make this thing work. Now, lastly, I will leave you with a comedic anecdote from a worship pastor of mine and actually not a worship pastor, my worship pastor, who said very simply that sex is a lot like pizza. Even when it's bad, it's still pizza. (laughs) That's... That's funny. That's pure gold. So anyways, uh, I hope that encourages you. And if you have any questions about this, I know it's an uncomfortable subject, but I just know that like we're not doing a good job talking about this stuff. So I'm trying to talk about it. As you can tell, I'm really comfortable. I, I don't mind. Like I don't embarrass about this stuff even in the slightest. So if you have a question, uh, maybe you feel embarrassed even asking me, whatever, get a burner Instagram account and send me a DM or make up some Gmail account so you can send me an email. I don't care. Um, I want to hear your questions and I want to try to offer you the most value I possibly can. So, hey, thanks for listening. Really appreciate this. And I hope this helps you lead your life with confidence and integrity. And if you're looking for a practical guidebook to just give you some assistance along the way and help you get started, help you clean your life up, help you get rid of porn um, and any other kind of sexual issues that you might be running into, uh, go to ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's gonna get you. Uh, that's gonna get you a free copy of my five best practices for sexual integrity. So thanks for listening. I hope you have an amazing day, guys, and we'll talk very soon. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the New Man Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, you can share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.sathiasam.com or follow on Instagram at Sam. Thanks again and see you next time.